Hey everybody, welcome back to the Matt Report. Amazing interview today with Alex King of Crowd Favorite, uh, recently uh, acquired by Velo Media. We're going to talk about that in today's episode. One thing I do have to highlight though, and during the interview of this podcast, the original interview, I was not recording with this mic, I was recording with the mic uh, in the webcam, so I do apologize for the sound being off. Uh, it's really uh, embarrassing, and uh, uh, it's still a great episode. Um, matter of fact, it's one of my favorite episodes of just a little... Um, little myth that we had to uh, have some poor audio on my end, so I do apologize about that. Please continue to listen. It is a great episode. You can learn a lot from Alex. And, and yesterday, uh, in, the, in the last episode I published was with Jay Goldman of 10Up. So I've got two uh, WordPress agency founders who really get it. Um, and it's just amazing um, to hear the undercurrent of how important it is to hire the right team and how you do that, right? How do you interview these people? How do you find these people? How do you set the right culture? Um, we're going to learn about that from Alex today, uh, but definitely go back and check out the episode from Jake. Uh, also very important to hear his point of view. Other than that, things are going awesome. Thanks everybody who's supporting me, uh, in the Matt Report Pro community. It's an amazing time, folks, uh, connecting with each other, learning how to build a better business. Um, they're all collaborating on the, on the community forums inside the Matt Report. You want to learn more about that, it's mattreport.com slash join. Uh, and I've still got the uh, discount code running. It's MattPro10. Use that at checkout. Get your sign up for uh, just 10 bucks when you sign up. Uh, other than that, you want to support the show, share it. Let your friends know on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google+, any place that you uh, culminate with other uh, WordPress folks. Uh, let them know about the Matt Report. Uh, it is a growing community and a great time. MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. Thanks, everybody. Hey everybody, welcome to the Matt Report. Uh, as always, your host Matt for the number one WordPress business podcast on the web. Um, unfortunately, you, Alex, our guest today, uh, sat down with my my enemy, my my arch nemesis uh, over at WP Elevation. I'm just kidding. Uh, he's a good guy. Um, but thanks for taking the time to, to hang out with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So if you're in the WordPress world, you're running a WordPress business, and you don't know who Alex is, where the heck have you been? Um, probably uh, a legend uh, of WordPress business, as WordPress businesses go. Uh, but I'm going to let him do the introduction, because I might get carried away. Alex, who are you, and what do you do? Uh, I'm a developer. Um, I've been involved in WordPress uh, since it was B2, before it was forked. Um, I had the, uh, the good fortune to um, be there during that time and um, be contributing code to the community. So um, some of the uh, things that I had been um, playing around with B2 and some of the features I'd built uh, actually got uh, rolled into the first version of WordPress, which is pretty cool to say now that it's become this behemoth on the web. Um, I... I was an independent developer from uh, 2003 through 2007. 2007, I started Crowd Favorite, and uh, we grew from just me to uh, 15, 16 people. Um, and now we're merging with uh, Velo Media, bringing our numbers up uh, just over 50. Nice. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Um, there's a whole slew of things that I want to get in uh, to talking about. Um, a lot of the folks in the audience are freelancers who are just starting their WordPress gig, uh, be it building a website for somebody that they know um, for a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks um, to folks who are building plugins and themes and, and such. Um, you know, 
thinking back to when you, know, you started, you know, which is like you know, ages ago in terms of WordPress and the internet, uh, what was it like getting started um, with WordPress? Do you have a, a particular memory of a project that you did that said, you know what, this is because of this, I think I can turn this into a career or I can make a business out of this? Well, early on, the community was very different. It was um, a lot of developers and people that were hacking on their tools as well as using them. <clears throat> so um, releasing stuff into that community was a very different experience. You had people that were interested in interacting with the code um, and you know, being involved on kind of a developer level uh, rather than what the majority of users are today, which are uh, people that are using WordPress as a product and are interested in solving business problems um, and less interested in tinkering in, with what goes on behind the scenes. So um, the experience of releasing stuff into the early community was very different than the experience of releasing stuff today. Um, support requests were very different. Uh, there's a lot more understanding that this was something that people were doing in their spare time because there, there was no um, commercialization opportunities because there was no market at that point that had yet to be established. Uh, so there was uh, a number of, I guess, differences there uh, that are pretty significant. Um, where should I go from here? <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Do you remember? So, crowd favorite, uh, age-old company, and I'm going to keep saying that because for folks that, that don't know, it's even to large firms, uh, larger WordPress firms like uh, uh, Web Dev Studios or, or Tenna, um, folks are always you know sort of harkening back to crowd favorite. Um, when you started the company. Uh, you know, was it basically just a services-based business? You know, we'll we'll build your WordPress solution for you. Did you already have the the the, the future vision to go into building <coughs> large plugins? Um, sort of, where did you set set your feet in the ground as a WordPress business? Yeah, so I had um, done a startup with a friend of mine uh, building a web-based feed reader, which. Um, Actually, it would be an interesting business now since Google Reader's out of it. But um, we we shut that down around the time Google Reader came out because they were um, just taking over the space. So I it was uh, early 2007. I came out of that, and I got um, an opportunity to uh, build the All Things D site for the Wall Street Journal, and uh, a friend of mine and I did that. Uh, his name's Adam Tao. And um, after we finished that project, um, that really um, kind of showed people that WordPress could be used in large publishing, publishing uh, environments for more than just a blog. Um, I think that there were other, uh, I think maybe the New York Times uh, was using WordPress for blogging at that point. Um, but there weren't uh, large publishers that were using WordPress as a CMS at the time. And I had been using WordPress as a CMS for various sites um, since uh, 2004, um, back before there were pages and things like that. So 
I, I had some experience there and um, was able to apply that for the All Things D site. And from there, I started getting more and more inquiries uh, about uh, interesting projects. I think a combination of the work that we did and the people sort of opening up to it as a platform and seeing the possibilities there. Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, that, that comes naturally with the territory, you know, naturally with the territory, you, you get a project like, like All Things D and, and, and sort of now you're connected to the larger publishing world or, or interesting projects start to come. Uh, my audience is going to want to know, how did you get All Things D? Did you wake up one morning with an email that said, we need a website built and they just broadcasted it to anybody or how did you land that? They had an RFP out, and um, I was unaware of that. Uh, they they had um, some responses, but they weren't getting responses that um, they really felt comfortable with. And uh, actually, Matt Mullenweg reached out to me and said, there's this RFP out there. Would you be interested in uh, sending a response? So um, things kind of went from there. Um, so yeah, I mean, the what? previous five years that I'd spent in the community um, contributing led to that opportunity. The um, You sort of uh, opened me up to a, a pretty good segue. I, I don't want to jump ahead too quickly, but uh, Chris Lemon did, uh, he made a post on uh, Torque Mag and sort of referenced one of my posts uh, on the Matt Report where, you know, I said, um, it, it actually might have been a reference to uh, the, the merger of Velo Media, Velo Media and your company, um, we're going to start to see these things sort of happen now, right? As companies like yours that have been around for a, a while, putting out you know, amazing projects and amazing work, finally starting to kind of grow up, uh, for lack of a better word, and, and sort of see that Silicon Valley mentality of acquisitions, mergers, uh, funding, that kind of thing. I wouldn't uh, call it Silicon Valley mentality. It, it's... It's very much about um, real work and real products and real valuations, not what can, you know, three million users potentially be worth ten years in the future. Ah, so that, that's that's uh, that's pretty amazing. What what do you see uh, the differences between? Because Chris writes his five differences about you know what's the difference between WordPress companies and Silicon Valley startups. Um, you know, do do you have a particular um, uh, angle or view on on what we do in the WordPress world versus sort of the glamorization of, of the Silicon Valley um, consumer-facing products. I, I spent five years in the Bay Area working for, uh, for startups. I was at two startups. One was acquired and one fizzled out. Um, and so I got to see that up close and personal in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, right in the boom. And um, that was actually what drove me to move from the Bay Area to Denver and get out of that um, environment. Uh, it was frustrating to me to see so many people working so hard on something and success looking like all of that going away, uh, which is what happens so much when there's an exit, whatever that exit may be. Maybe it's an acquisition. Um, maybe it's uh, an aqua hire. Um, maybe it's, you know, a product getting rolled into a bigger company or a company wanting to buy you out because you're a competitor. Uh, the chances of your company actually going public and um, 
being able to control its destiny and continue to invest in the products and solutions that everybody's been working towards, the odds are just incredibly small uh, for that happening. And that definition of success didn't make sense to me. I was interested in building things that were going to have more lasting value and being able to have more control of that. Uh, so uh, I started building my own products. Um, I was contributing to WordPress. And then the combination of those experiences you know, kind of led to the opportunities uh, to create crowd favorite and start building a team. Did you feel more uh, relaxed working with WordPress and sort of the community, although it was very different back then? Um, was it a, real, a, a different, whole different vibe? Um, or what were the biggest differences uh, that you found from working at a startup that was pressured with either launching a product with investment dollars and hoping to get an exit versus sort of I build my own stuff and take my own pace? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most, uh, almost all of my contributions to WordPress have been uh, selfishly driven. <laughs> I, I had an idea that I was interested in, and I followed it up, and then released it so other people could use it as well. Um, that's, uh, I, I believe that um, kind of where where self-interest can intersect with. Um, Kind of making the world better, releasing stuff out for people to use. If you if you have good intentions behind all of that, um, good things come from it. Mm. The uh, I, I, I want to stick with the Silicon Valley thing because I think that um, it's being sold as this sort of you know sexy thing. That's you know what we're all shooting for: build you know build a product, build a service get a million users on it, retire on an island. <laughs> um, you know, that's what we see with like This Week in Startups and, and other startup shows. Hell, I, I even do uh, a WordPress startup challenge where entrepreneurs from early startups come and kind of pitch a, a host of judges uh, for, their, um, for their sort of claim to fame. Um, what is it that folks aren't seeing on the inside um, that you saw? Well, I, I think it depends on what your personal definition of success is. Um, like, uh, I, I was on a, a panel at WordCamp San Francisco, and my friend Shane Perlman talked about um, his, you know, one of the things that's important to him is to be able to go surf. He lives in Santa Cruz, right? And so his business is a vehicle for enabling his lifestyle. And if he can go surf and spend time um, working with the people he loves, building things that he's passionate about, right? That's success for him. Um, for me, you know, people said, I, I've been asked over the years, like, you know, are you going to sell crowd favor? Are you going to, you know, try to get an exit out of this? And um, that was never the plan. I, my, you know, my thought process was basically, well, if I, if I sold crowd favor, what would I want to do? I would want to build another team just like it and do the same <laughs> stuff, right? Uh, and build interesting things and uh, work with interesting people. So, the 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 I guess the motivation for your end goal should help you figure out how to get there. Hmm. Um, and I think it's important that um, you know, at, le at least for me, 
I didn't want it to be something where, okay, at the end of the day, there's this brass ring, right? There's you got to figure out how to get part of that into every day along the way, and um, so that that was kind of the approach I took. The uh, you know, and again, I'm not out in San Fran. I'm not in you know in the valley. I'm just uh, looking at from you know the tech news, the tech buzz. Um, but even talking to Shane, I, I asked him this question too. It's like you don't really hear uh, about sort of the the WordPress stuff, you know, mixed in with uh, TechCrunch until large firms like yourself um, sort of um, make the headlines. Why is that? I mean, are, are people, investors, businesses in the valley in that scene look at WordPress as like, eh, you know, eh, it's never going to be a, as big a target as a, as a Facebook or as a Twitter. Um, is it open source that they're afraid of? Like investors look at it and say, ooh, you know, we don't want to get mixed up with this open source stuff. Um, any kind of insight to that? That's an interesting question. I think that there's a couple of different ways we can approach that. Um, one is, to, to answer more directly, uh, yes, I think open source uh, is somewhat at odds with kind of the celebrity of the tech press. Um, a lot of people that are involved in open source are not in it for the same reasons as somebody who's running around trying to get $10 million in VC money to try to get their company flipped. Right? It's a, a very different mindset. Um, I think also um, you don't see like the WordPress ecosystem is very large and growing, but um, it hasn't been from the beginning about commercialization, whereas, say, the app economy for um, iOS has been always a vehicle for developers to get paid. Um, I, I think that it's also interesting to think about this in, in terms of our, our larger um, society and how press and media in general works. It's so much of it is a for-profit business now. Um, they're interested in doing the the type of reporting that's going to drive revenue for them, whether whether it be page views or uh, viewership on um, like a YouTube channel or um, sponsorships or things like that. And so. Um, the people that have money uh, become to be, you know, more interesting there. And there, there's a, a great line from uh, a show I watch on ESPN. Pardon the interruption. Um, they're talking about why they would mess with the different formats for um, different playoffs and things like that. Where like it's perfectly good. Don't add another round of playoffs to the NBA, or don't add another. Um, around to the NCAA tournaments, these play-in weekends and stuff. Said, uh, Tony Kornheiser said, the answer to all of your questions is money. Right. And um, that's what's you know driving all of these decisions. And I, I find it really interesting to look at, um, to kind of use that as a lens to look at some of these questions where, you know, all of these things are businesses. They have to pay people. They have to get revenue. And they... Um, you know, depending on their various approaches, that's going to lead them in various different directions. Mm. I love that that uh, 
the comparison of, of apps and the commercial commercialization of apps and, and sort of that was the whole driving force. It was, you know, build an app, put it on the on the market on the iTunes app store, charge whatever you want up to a certain thing and, and you know, we all settled on ninety nine cents. <laughs> like what the hell? Um, but then the then like you say with WordPress, it's not uh, you know, the the, the the vision wasn't to just start out and commercialize themes and plugins, it just sort of happened. Do you think uh, first of all, I want to ask, do you think that the WordPress ecosystem is still growing, yes or no? Second, do you think there's any uh, problems with commercializing the, the plugins and themes as you see it? Yes, I think the WordPress ecosystem is still growing. Um, I, I think that there are a variety of challenges within the community around um, non-commercial products, commercial products, and customer expectations. I think um, managing expectations is the most important thing that you can do to be successful. Um, a combination of managing, meeting, and exceeding expectations, I suppose. Um, but sometimes um, there is an a general uh, opinion um, or viewpoint in the community that makes uh, attempts to manage those expectations sort of like swimming upstream. Um, for a long time, it was having anything commercial at all was going against the grain of the community. Um, then we got into different licensing kerfuffles. Uh, and now, <laughs> what's that? To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've been happy to steal clear of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that, um, that, that I think is happening now is you have a lot of uh, free plugins in, uh, on .org that are somehow commercially supported or um, have a smaller enough um, user base that the developers, you know, it's a hobby for them, they enjoy supporting it, and the support is really good. There's another collection of plugins, like a lot of the stuff that I've written, that I wrote it, I put it out there, if it works for you, great. If not, you know, I'm sorry, I really don't have time to individually help people with this. Um, and then you have the commercial um, plugins, which have, I think, uh, appropriately a support expectation with them. Um, but there's a certain amount of sophistication about the community, about how development works, how products are released, um, that's required to kind of understand which is which. So quite reasonably, um, a large portion of the community is looking at um, their past experience outside of the WordPress community and seeing when I get a product I get support whether I paid for it or not and I think that um, that's a challenge for people that are trying to make contributions within the community um, it's important that they understand that and that um, you know we've chosen to release some of our stuff just on github rather than um, putting it on .org because we, it's focused more towards developers, 
Um, it's uh, uh, it's not something we can easily support for end users, uh, etc. And we don't want them to have the experience of being frustrated with us uh, as a result of trying to use one of our products. Right. So it's fair to say that you obviously support the commercialization pins and, and themes to grow a business, right? To, to in order to provide support and, and reinvestment and innovation into a plugin or a theme. Yeah, I mean, we have two uh, commercial WordPress products. Um, we have dozens of um, freely available uh, products, plugins, and themes. Um, we have not taken the the product um, road to building the business. It's you know, crowd favorite is a services business. Um, but I, I certainly uh, think that you know. Products or focused services that you know, sort of as products, mm. are certainly you know viable approaches. Mm. I think that um, folks who are young developers or, or people who want to start a, a business, the barrier to entry for WordPress is so so low that it, you know it's easy for them to build sites and get all this stuff put together through plugins and themes. But then they you know start getting that entrepreneurial bug where they're like, okay, uh, you know. I too want to make a million dollar theme business like I just read on Theme Forest. <laughs> or I want to sell these plugins and do it and make a million dollar business like I see on Code Canyon. Um, do you think that there should be one? Do you think prices of commercialized plugins and themes should go up? Um, should it be you know separated out from support to a, a one time uh, fee for the plugin? Um, any advice? For those that are trying to grow more uh, or increase their revenue with their plugins or themes. Uh, well, I think that the the theme market has become fairly well commoditized. I think that um, you you can choose how you want to differentiate yourself. Um, the, the difference between uh, one, one of the fundamental differences between a services business and a product business is with a services business, you want to have fewer uh, clients that are higher value. And with a product business, you're looking to have many customers that are each individually lower value, and you're going for an economy of scale. Um, you know, w w trying to figure out which of those you want to do, I think, is really important because you have to tune your offerings, your team, etc., to uh, that approach. Um, it you know at Crowd Favorite we're much higher touch with our clients th than we can be with our customers, right? There there's just a you look at the money coming in and that's where your attention is directed. Um, it, and I think that um, expectations are are generally along those lines as well. Like our clients expect more time communicating with us, discussing problems, interacting with us, than our customers do. Right? They um, typically seem to be um, pretty happy to use uh, self-service documentation, support forums. And we're uh, pretty responsive there. Uh, things like that. So there, those those types of businesses have very different growth patterns. Um, the getting back to the original question, um, you know, how would I look at trying to 
grow a product business, um, it, the first thing I would look at is how can I differentiate myself, mm. right? Um, and I would hope that that would be something that's easily answered by something I was passionate about, whether it's a product I really care about, whether it's a way of providing service um, to my customers, whether it's a, a certain philosophy that um, I try to make sure that everything we do uh, embodies. Um, I, I think that the marketplace is crowded enough at this point that if you're if you can't easily answer how are my how is my team how are my offerings different than everyone else's, uh, your customers are going to have a hard time answering that as well, and you're not going to be as successful. Hmm. That's great. That's a great takeaway for for product. Um, because a lot of folks will jump into the market and be like, I'm just going to make another res responsive theme or the options are going to be the exact same thing or I'm going to make another contact form uh, plugin or, or something like that. These are just examples. Uh, and a lot of the time they're just looking at what the competition is doing and replicating it and you know trying to, to pass it off as, as innovation or, or at least as their own flavor. Um, you know, and, and differentiating yourself, telling a better story, positioning and things like that. Uh, are super important, the product side, uh, and then taking that into account for, for support costs and, and what you're actually going to have to reinvest or hire new people, that kind of thing, get down a system. We just, uh, right before you came on, uh, we had Mason James from WP Valet on the show, and that's exactly what he talked about, getting a system down, um, tracking time, hiring the right people to put in place to support this stuff. I do want to jump to your agency side, to the service business side, I've heard, uh, I've had other folks on, on the show that are either head of a large ad agency or, or running their own boutique firm, you know, and they say selling a $5,000 website is the same sort of process and you're going through the same hoops and you're having the same discussions as you have a $50,000 site, as a $150,000 site uh, or solution. Does that ring true to you, um, thinking back to the early days to, to where you're at today? Sort of. I mean, in the same way that a, a Mercedes and a Yugo are both cars. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you open the door, you put the key in the ignition, you turn it on, and it gets you from A to B. Um, what Everything about that journey is totally different, though. Um, I, I, I don't know where to begin with that. Um, uh, well, but uh, this this that particular statement coming from one of my past guests, Jose Cavalier, used to work at Razorfish, one of the uh, one of the early uh, you know people uh, branching out to the West Coast. Uh, now he has his own his own firm, uh, and I think he was giving that as advice to folks who are starting their own agency. So it's fair to say that you might go through the same amount of stuff, for lack of a better word, selling a five thousand dollar site as you would a fifty thousand dollar site. So let's set our sights on selling a $50,000 site because you're still going to go through the same amount of stuff. Um, so if you want to grow and excel and, and get more revenue, let's go for those clients that have, have that money and understand the value. Um, was that true for you, for your success? One of the reasons, uh, one of the main reasons that uh, the merger with Fellow Media made so much sense to me was Cream's uh, team and their experience servicing high-end clients. It's not the same as servicing uh, a mom-and-pop shop. Um, the 
amount of touch, the expectations, the dealing with their internal politics. Um, it takes a lot of different experience and it's not something that's uh, an easy transition. Uh, looking at where we were, uh, team, I think we were 16 at the time, um, we had three project managers, uh, one person that did some inbound sales. We didn't have an accounts person. We didn't have um, you know, a dedicated biz dev team. We didn't have um, processes in place for the project managers to be as proactive and has, as high touch. And so as a result, we had clients that appreciated what we did well. Uh, which was create a great technical uh, solution to various problems. And um, sometimes they were te more technical clients themselves um, and they didn't need some of that uh, the high-touch service. But when you start looking at the next level of clients that you want to get, the RFP process is different, the pitching process is different, you're going up against teams that are flying in, three or four person teams, and showing um, work and, and stuff just in the pitch process. Well, that's totally different than going down to a, you know, a, a local business and you know, spending a half hour pitching them on your services. Um, I mean, yes, the process is the same in that you try to convince them that you can solve their problems and give them a price, but the overall experience and how to do that well at each level uh, changes quite a bit. And uh, trying, you know, getting back to expectations, you know, if the client has an expectation that there is someone who is a separate account manager that they're going to talk to every day and then they have their project manager that um, expects to be working on a daily basis with a dedicated project manager on your team and they've got a tech lead that wants to interact with your tech lead, you start to have different layers of things um, that you need to be able to do well in order to succeed with that client. Um, you need to have people that are savvy enough to understand um, how to make both your direct contact on the client um, look good to their internal bosses and their internal structure, while also working with maybe someone two or three levels up from them and making sure that they're getting updated and feeling good about the project um, and not getting surprised at any point along the way. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it. Right. The, and what I'm hearing, because um, folks in the audience, they're, they're here to sort of take away some kind of um, tidbit that they can kind of apply in their own business or get ready to you know look at it and say you know I'm, I might even pivot my vision a little bit. Um, what I hear a lot um, in the first half of your answer is uh, positioning, right? Um, you know your crowd favorite selling at building you know either intricate applications or you know really dynamic stuff like building the code and that kind of thing. Fellow media, sure they're going to fly with the big boys. They're going to you know sort of have, have the sizzle side of it, um, for lack of a better word. Um, how important is positioning to you? Like many folks are going to start out and they're like, I'm going to do design, development, marketing, strategy, wireframing, content, uh, migration, support, product. You're going to do all this stuff. Why not just focus on great development and partnering with 
firms or ad agencies. Is that fair uh, advice to someone just starting out trying to pick a, a path to, to really excel at? Uh, I would say, you know, you're going to be most successful doing the thing you're most passionate about. So whatever that is, um, do that and, you know, as you're doing it, figure out ways to make that successful. Maybe that's um, building your own team. Maybe that's partnering with another team. Maybe that's deciding, you know what, what I really love doing is the building part. I don't like the selling part or the management part. I'm going to go get a job somewhere that, uh, with other people that love the same stuff I do. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, this is the part of what I do that I really love, and I want to maximize that. Mm. Uh, let's talk about you. Right? Is, is, is it's developing, right, that you really love? It's, it's, it's building that, or is it building the team? And has it changed over the years? Um, it has changed over the years, but um, building stuff and getting my hands on the code is still... Um, what really energizes me, uh, but it was a uh, I don't know I was about three years in, and uh, there were some dynamics in the team that um, I didn't think were what they should be, and uh, we had lost uh, um, someone on the team that um, I was sorry to see go, and so kind of you know why why is this team not working the way I think it should, and a big reason was because I wasn't focused on that. Um, and so I started to focus more on that, um, started treating the team as my product. And um, from there, um, you know, things started to improve. Um, the, the culture became something I was much more focused on. Um, and... Uh, I realized that you know it's not something that I can just leave to chance. It needs to be something that's more intentional um, yeah. and something that uh, I need to invest more in. That's a perfect segue. How, how did you mentally, physically prepare for that that sort of challenge? Because now it's you come to realize that you became a founder. This, this building this team, building this business. I mean, might not have been the number one goal when you set out, but here you are, X amount of years later. It's in front of you. You're doing it. How did, what did, who did you turn to to sort of help with, you know, growing culture, stepping back and saying, how do I even define culture? <laughs> uh, you know, how did, what steps did you take? Uh, I've been um, fortunate to uh, meet a lot of really bright people that have been uh, really driven in their careers and to be friends with them. So uh, I kind of just kind of turned to my own network and uh, try to, yeah, kind of. Uh, anytime I have a chance for a, any type of birds of a feather meetup, those are my favorite ones. Um, uh, most recently, uh, last year I went to uh, Owner Camp, which is uh, set up by Happy Cog, and it's a um, three-day retreat for digital agency owners, about 30 people. And my experience has been that the most successful people are also the most open and giving with their advice and um, ideas, and they're willing to share anything uh, because they know that they're going to have more good ideas in the future, right? There's no monopoly on this this one idea. This is this is the thing that's going to make it or break. Right. Um, and so, you know, having the opportunity to have those sorts of people as peers um, has been 
incredibly gratifying, and, and hopefully I've you know been able to reciprocate in some manner. Mm. Uh, shameless plug, if you head on over to WPMentor.org, a little site that I started, if you're looking for that kind of help, uh, feel free to apply and uh, or search through the folks who have already signed up to WP Mentor. Um, some amazing stories like that coming out of it. Um, so, you know, uh, how did how did the the, uh, the conversation for you know as much as you can kind of reveal <clears throat> between yourself and, and Vell Media come about? How many cigars did you buy, Chris Lemma? <laughs> introduction, uh, you know. Uh, but how did that come about? When did you say, you know what? I think this is the time. This is the right. This is the right fit. Um, any insight to that? Yeah, I actually didn't really get to. I knew Chris by reputation, but I didn't really um, get to know him uh, too much until um, the process got going. Um, yeah. And then you were like, "Oh God, where's the button?" <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, so Kareem and I met at initially at uh, WorkCamp San Francisco, and uh, got a chance to talk a little bit then, um, and. Then we started. Um, we spent a little bit of time together at uh, Pressnomics um, uh, last fall. We started talking in more detail about our various teams and the strengths and what we what it was we were trying to do. Uh, again, kind of harkening back to just uh, kind of birds of a feather conversation and uh, sharing challenges and and things like that. And it became immediately apparent that we were trying to do the same things and we had the same approach to culture but we were um, our teams were kind of coming together from two different perspectives and um, as we were trying to build up to what they could do uh, with uh, project management and account management they were trying to establish themselves uh, technically and put together kind of uh, infrastructure and best practices and stuff that we would built over the last you know six and a half years um, so when when like everything falls into place like that, it becomes really obvious what the next steps are. And uh, so yeah, basically that's what happened. Nice. Um, you mentioned <clears throat> something about building um, sort of these uh, uh, processes and 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 steps uh, over the last six and a half years. Um, as far as I know, there is no. Bible to this stuff, right? There is no blueprint to doing this stuff and building your own internal processes. Um, what's your experience with that? I mean, is it is it a custom thing that you have to build in place that gels perfectly well with the team that you have, or is it like Scrum where you're just like, this is what we do: one, two, three, rinse and repeat. Um, any advice to building that sort of internal process for folks? So uh, for us, I think it's been um, a matter of trying to establish culture. And a cult um, one of the things we have in our intranet is uh, on our process page, it says, if you ever find yourself following a process that doesn't make sense to you, it's your job to stop and ask why. And one of several things is going to happen. You're gonna f somebody's going to explain to you, this is the reason why we put this process in place, and these are the benefits of it, and this is what it's trying to do. And now you're no longer going to be frustrated that you're doing this thing that doesn't make sense because you're going to understand it. 
or asking that question is going to prompt someone to say, you know what, we put it in place three years ago because we had this problem, but we fixed that problem two years ago and we're still doing this thing and it's actually a waste of time, so let's stop doing it, right? But either way, it's got to be um, something that's intentional and team-based where um, the decisions we're making, the things we're doing, we need to be thinking about why we're doing them and how we can be doing them better and constantly improving those things. And everyone on the team has to be empowered to make suggestions and and, um, and implement uh, improvements. Um, so you know, that that's basically a, the approach that we've taken is to try to bake that into the culture. Mm. And from a real 101 level, you're managing processes and, and, and documenting of this stuff in an intranet, like you said, uh, pretty straightforward. You log in and there's some like scenarios that have already been documented. How does that look? <clears throat> yeah, we have a, a WordPress-based intranet. Um, we we try to have as few processes as possible, um, but we also try to be very intentional about how we do things and make sure that we're constantly learning from things that have or haven't been successful. So uh, one of the things about coming into an environment like this is it, the first few months can be somewhat painful because um, doing things the way you've always done them doesn't always work, right? It's like, oh, you're doing it this way. Well, actually, we do it this way, and here are the reasons why. And there's no way to shortcut that process. You can't give just give somebody a brain dump of, here's six years of experience that has led to this thing, and have them you know, have it just be innate um, and a, a natural part of their thought process. It's so, you know, I often hear from people after about three months, like, you know, I, I knew everything. I was the man or the woman wherever I was. And I came in, I just felt dumb for two months because I didn't understand <laughs> why things were um, happening the way they were. And we try to prep people for it and tell them that, you know, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of reasons for things, people, uh, the way we do things. You're not going to understand it all. That's fine. That's expected. That doesn't mean that you're not getting it. It's just going to take a few months for everything to click into place. Right. Uh, is there one example, uh, real basic, that, that is very common um, that you see this in? You know, a customer asks to modify a, a page on an event site. Developer says, yeah, I just SSH into the server. I modify the code. Hit save. <laughs> no, that's not how you do it in our company. Uh, yeah, that, that's actually gotten a lot better because we've invested so much in our um, internal automation tools. Um, we have a, a set of tools that we've released, um, uh, open source tools um, for Capistrano and making it work well with WordPress. Uh, there's two Ruby gems that we maintain, um, Capistrano WP and uh, uh, another one called Steps that uh, we build on top of. And the automation is not just for deploying client sites without having to worry about them crashing and going down and being able to revert, although that is a huge uh, benefit of them. But it's also for our uh, internal benefit and for our development process. When you have a framework and you have um, tools, it helps um, codify the processes that you want to support. Right? So um, we have our Git repos as the site root. We have configuration files. We have um, configuration files that 
can be sent to uh, production by the automation tools for development by the automation tools. We have a uh, fixture uh, server where a known set of good data is stored. We have a script where you can say, I want to set up this project. And it pulls down a set of data, it pulls down the Git repo, it configures everything, and you're up and running in two or three minutes with a, a local development environment. And um, that makes it easy for people to roll in on a project and not spend a whole day trying to get it set up. Um, it And it gives people a framework in which they see how things are done. So when they're setting up a new project, it's like, oh, we need this thing, we need this thing, we need this thing, and it's clear why, right? Because uh, the next person to set up the project can now just run that one command and have everything set up for them. Mm -hmm. We've even gone so far as to creating um, a bootstrap script that uh, we run on new laptops that installs all the right tools and configures like a local DNS server and um, you can create .dev folders within your web root and they auto automatically resolve and things like that that works together with so everybody's on the t um, same tool set and then that's a script that we can rerun whenever we need to update the tools. Mm -hmm. um, so we've done a lot of uh, investment internally in that type of um, foundation and it makes us much more efficient, right? But, uh, we, whether or not that cost was being passed on to clients or not, it's you know not having to have people either with a whole bunch of setup time that's not built or setup time that is built. You know the end result is better, right? They're doing more valuable work. They're more in, they feel better about the what they've done when they go home. Uh, the clients getting uh, more bang for their buck. Mm. Um, that's an amazing lesson for folks who are out there, you know, maybe looking at that and saying, oh god, that's, that's too much, I would never do all that stuff, I just have MAMP on my computer and boom, <laughs> I got my environment and there I go. The difference is when you're dealing with these larger clients with this value, again we go back to that, the Hugo versus a Mercedes, you get to the Hugo, there's no heat, there's no leather, there's just a stick shift and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a key that you have to turn. You get into the Mercedes, there is no key, it says your name, it's beautiful, it's amazing. <laughs> it just starts when you think it, when you tell it to start. Um, and, and sort of these processes that Alex and his team has built all goes into that experience. Client's going to look at crowd favorite and say, I'm going to go with crowd favorite because look at this process. I know that there's this chain of events that fires off which will help for quality control. You know where something may have broken down, down the line. Um, a developer leaves the team, another developer gets input, it's easier to start uh, from where the other person left off, or a piece of the project needs to scale all of a sudden, we can bring in other developers to this and know where we are in this process as best as possible. Um, so that's an amazing piece of advice. And again, it's not one thing that you can just tell people, go, this is what you have to do. It, it takes that time over those six years, like you said, to kind of to ramp that up. Certainly not an easy task. Yeah, and it it takes um, a ch a choice to make the investment too, because the time that you're spending building those tools and establishing that process and investing in it is time that you're not billing to clients. Mm-hmm. And it's a scary thing, right? For I mean, even for us, we're a small team um, for uh, full time, and it's like, okay, I'd love to sit there and, and document everything for a week or set up these processes, um, 
but when can you do it when you when you have pipeline and you and you're trying to get this stuff done? Um, you know, definitely a give and take, and and when to invest in that system um, always crops up uh, in our meetings, um, and you just have to balance it as best as possible, at least from what I can tell. I think it's valuable uh, just before we move on from that to sure. try to take a more long-term view. Um, and this kind of gets back to the Silicon Valley stuff as well. Right? If you're trying to build something for three years from now, five years from now, you're going to make different decisions than you'd make if you're trying to build something for an exit six months from now. Um, and I think when you look at, it's sort of the difference between um, like systems theory and Western approach of breaking everything down in individual parts. Like if, if when you try to understand something, you try to understand it by looking at how everything interacts together, you're going to make different decisions than if you're looking at a whole bunch of individual atomic things. Yeah. And it's the same sort of thing with a long-term versus short-term focus. Mm -hmm. um, it is tremendous stuff um, when you get to step back uh, and, and look at the, the 50,000 foot view. Um, what are we going to see uh, in the future uh, come from uh, the, uh, the the introduction of two great teams uh, of uh, crowd favorite and Velo Media. Anything that uh, that on the horizon that you can talk about? Uh, you know, the the first thing for us is uh, I, I think the next six months is just making sure that those teams are working really well together. Um, you know, kind of going back to to my last comment about the long term view and making sure that what you're doing is really building value. Um, you know, we don't want to ever be in a position where we bite off more than we can chew, right? So um, immediately running out and trying to get, you know, a client that maybe we couldn't have gotten uh, before is, um, you know, probably not the right next step, right? The right next step is to make sure the processes that we have in place, the processes that they have in place are complementing each other and where there's overlap and where there's... Um, disconnects or differences, how are those getting resolved? Mm -hmm. um, for our team, um, you know, we, ha we now have a, a variety of remote offices. How does the Denver office work with the Bucharest office and the Los Angeles office, and Las Vegas office, et cetera? Um, so I think, you know, for the next couple of months, we probably um, run things very similar to the way they have been and work on some of those internal uh, things. At the same time, um, we're not going to be turning away new opportunities that, that come as a result. We're going to be you know, working doubly hard to make sure that the experience that new clients have with us is, you know, is a really great one. Um, last super serious question of the formal interview. Super serious. I mean, this is probably the most professional question I've ever asked. Who wins in an arm wrestling match, you or Jake Goldman? <laughs> uh, Jake's a good guy. Um, I think that uh, we, we would find a way to talk it out. Probably. <laughs> uh, tremendous. Um, more seriously, um, so now we, we chatted real quick before the show. You're going to take a different uh, a different seat. You're going to be a, you know, in charge of being the CTO of sort of this uh, combination of teams. What's your forecast? How are you preparing for it? Um, are you worried at all? 
No, um, excited. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, people haven't asked me if I'm worried about this. Yeah, no, it, it hadn't occurred to me, which is probably pretty cool. <laughs> um, no, the the you know the thing that I see is a ton of opportunity. Um, a lot of great developers on the Velo Media side. We just brought in the guys from Pixel Jar as well. Um, and uh, you know, at lunch yesterday, we we had an hour and a half meeting over our template coding standards, which was passionate and uh, and very satisfying. In that, you know, even though people had differing opinions, everybody's uh, end goal is we want this to be the best long-term way of doing things for the team. Uh, and uh, I think we do a pretty good job of um, keeping those arguments separate from like the people making them right and uh, to see people compromise during the meeting and saying well what if we did this what if we did this it's a little thing but all of, you know coding standards are important especially to a, a technical team right mm -hmm. we want um, again you know the idea of decisions having to be made and supported and projects being supported by a team rather than just one person. Um, so we want um, people rolling in and off of projects and stepping in to help out that process to be as effective as we can make it. And coding standards and automation, all that stuff really helps. Yeah, that's tremendous stuff. Uh, and going back to uh, if you are uh, in a little bit of fear or doubt in going to the new position, I, I think it's great that it's not even on your mind. I think that's how most um, you know uh, passionate entrepreneurs think they're they're just going to tackle it. There is no doubt that it's not going to uh, succeed or be a great experience because you're just going to go in and crush it uh, anyway. So it's never really on your mind. Um, so that's amazing stuff. I want to jump into the last two segments. Um, before I do, folks who are uh, in today, you will hear the answer to the Matterport Pro question, uh, which will be uh, Alex sort of giving his uh, his pointers or his sort of quick bullet points of um, uh, thinking back to starting his business, things that he, he knows now that he would definitely put in place um, before launching a business. So if you are a Matterport Pro member, matterport.com slash join, you become a Matterport pro uh, listener, you can log into the site and get the answer. Last two segments. What's in your toolbox? Uh, what type of app that you do you use on a daily basis that gets you through the day? Uh, something that folks might not know about that you're privy to, that you use uh, to get your, your work done or manage the business? Like an Evernote, but something more top secret. Um. Well, since I've been able to get back into development a little bit more, I guess I'd like to plug our capsule tool, um, which is a, a product that we uh, built on top of WordPress, and it's a, a journal for developers. And uh, so it's it handles code snippets and things like that that you might want to throw in. And the idea is it um, replaces kind of the scratch document that you have open when you're working on a project. So you, you've got your your plugin code or your theme code or something that's going on over here and you've got this scratch document where you're working through things and you're experimenting or you're taking notes or keeping data sets or things like that. And uh, the idea is that all of those artifacts have some sort of future value. And so if you can capture those, um, then future you is going to be very thankful to present day you uh, for, for doing that. 
So we've got um, you know some simple syntax for tagging things as projects and uh, using tags and stuff like that. Um, and the thing that's really cool is if you're working in a team, each person can have their own capsule instance that they're using. They connect it to capsule server and they map any of their local projects to remote projects on the server. And whenever um, you create uh, new entries, new posts that reference those projects, they get automatically replicated back to the server. And then on the server, you can go and you can uh, filter by project, filter by uh, contributor, you know, whoever, however you want to look at it. And uh, I know that it's super valuable for me to be able to go back and say, okay, this is the thought process I went through when I was building this feature. This is how it was intended to work. Um, I, I, I tell my one of my uh, advice, piece of advice to developers is you, you should have two separate things that you do. You should have your thinking and you should have your coding. And you shouldn't be doing the same, doing both at the same time. Like your code shouldn't be how you figure out how to solve a problem. You want to solve the problem and then implement it in code. And I find Capsule to be an invaluable tool to be right there and I can just start working through a product, uh, problem. I'm just typing out pros, I'm typing out bullet lists, I'm typing out an outline of what I need to do um, for a, a specific piece of um, functionality. And then once I am happy with it there, then I go over to start implementing it. And I go back and forth and um, keep my notes back and forth. And it's really cool to go and then just kind of browse through a capsule server and see other developers doing the same thing and uh, knowing that there's going to be, you know, at some point in the future, one of those entries is going to totally save our butts. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Where can folks grab that? Uh, Crowdfavor.com slash capsule. It's a free um, product built on top of WordPress. Uh, WordPress obviously is a great tool for journaling. Um, and uh, so it, it was uh, really natural to build it on top of that. Awesome. Good stuff. Great stuff. I'm going to jump into the lightning round. I'll ask you a series of quick questions. You'll have a series of quick answers. The one plugin you cannot live without besides your own. Uh, I'd say caching plugin, super cache, total cache. A favorite WordPress or business book? Oh. I'll try to get back to you with something good. I don't have anything offhand. No problem. What's a quote that you live or write by? Um, it's not a quote, but the the biggest thing that um, I try to impress on our team is be intentional and always be improving the way we do things. Very nice. What's the best business or career advice you ever received? Um, you, you know, actually, I really like um, what uh, Matt Mullenweg has talked about in the creation of WordPress um, and his shepherding of it to the point it is today is, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically good things happen when you give stuff away. Uh, and I think that that can be applied at many different levels. Obviously, with WordPress, it's the entire product that's given away. Um, but it can also be um, 
thought of in the way Chris Lama talks about it with giving away your time, giving away your advice, your ideas, uh, being generous uh, and, and well-intentioned. I think that uh, doing those things, you're constantly creating value, and, and value is what lasts. It's tremendous stuff. Uh, what's the longest a client project has ever taken? So we have some clients that we've, we've been working with for years, and they're just sort of like long, ongoing projects. Mm -hmm. um, so the longest client we've had a relationship with dates back to 2008 that we're active on. Very nice. um, but we've had uh, individual projects uh, take as many as 18 months due to a variety of reasons. <laughs> um, if you had to switch to another mess, what would it be? Hmm. You know, I, I'm i not as knowledgeable about other CMSs. I think if I was going to switch to another CMS, I would probably look at switching languages. So I'd be looking at um, something that was maybe uh, built on Node or something like that, although um, Ghost is probably not where I would be going. <laughs> I think that's what I'd say. Yeah. Um, who should I interview next? Have you had uh, Chris on, Chris Lama? Yeah, I have. Too many yeah. times, actually. I too talk many. <laughs> way too much. <laughs> uh, and you said you talked to Shane already? I had Shane, yeah. Uh, have you had uh, Peter Chester on? I have not. Uh, yeah, Peter's uh, Shane's partner. He, he's a, an interesting guy. And I think um, you know he's a little bit more the technical, whereas uh, Shane's the uh, design and business side. He actually tweeted to us when we started, we'll work for good surf. <laughs> we'll have to get him on. Um, what's the one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? Uh, this is a little bit... Uh, I, I get people asking me, you know, how did you know to create all these plugins that you would be able to build your business on in the future? And they don't believe me necessarily when I tell them that that's not how it happened. That you know, there was no way to predict that this ecosystem was going to happen. Right? Building plugins was not a, a means to an end. It was just something that I did. Um, and I was fortunate um, that you know, reputation and uh, word of mouth built from uh, on top of that. And um, was it helpful in building my business? Absolutely. But it wasn't the the way I tried to build my business. And I think the best evidence for that is to look at my history of releasing plugins and see how it's trickled off over time because I, <laughs> I just don't have time anymore. Yeah. If that was how I was trying to build my business, I'm doing it completely the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a misconception um, that sometimes is frustrating for me to hear. Um, and but but I think the larger lesson is just do interesting stuff, create value, and good things will happen. Yeah, I can't agree anymore. Uh, I think actually maybe your future self came back in time and told you to do all this stuff, <laughs> took off again because you've got some kind of crazy time traveling powers. Um, but other than that amazing interview, uh, tremendous stuff to, to see um, from your perspective uh, being in WordPress business for so long and entrepreneurship for so long 
and having that taste of the Silicon Valley stuff. Uh, it's just amazing. I wish you all the best success uh, with Velo Media and all the future stuff you have going on. Uh, Alex, where can folks find you on the web to say thanks? Uh, my site, alexking.org. I've been blogging there since 2002. And uh, on uh, the business side, crowdfavorite.com. Awesome. Uh, for those of you sticking around uh, in the audience, we're going to jump over to the Matt Report Pro answer. Um, and for those of you uh, who are just listening to this over the regular podcast, if you want to hear the answers like this, it's mattreport.com slash join uh, to become a pro member. Uh, to be released this week, but if you're already hearing this, it's already released. Uh, this is my future self going back to my, or no, my present self going to my future self and saying, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's a great way to support the show and become part of a WordPress entrepreneur community. Other than that, I have to read ads from places you don't want me to read. <laughs>